Uh, good morning, Grace Point. My name is Andrew. If I haven't met you already, I'm one of the church family here, and I'm excited to open up the Bible for us today. I want to echo Min's welcome to you. Uh, we've been working our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians, and it's all been about Jesus. Uh, Jesus has come humbly serving and saving us. Jesus has come so there is a life worth living for him, a life not live for our salvation, but from our salvation. Jesus has come so there is full, perfect assurance that he's done it all. There is nothing we can do to make him love us more. There is nothing we can do to make God love us less. Jesus is central to who we are. Jesus is central to how we might live. And for today, Jesus is central to how we will continue to live for him too. I'm keen to dive in, but first, let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him we have real identity, that in him we have worthwhile lives to live. Help us to understand your word today and by your spirit to see Jesus front and center. Amen. On the 4th of July, 1952, Florence May Chadwick wanted to become the first woman to swim across from Catalina Island to Palo Verde. They say it's around 26 miles or 41 kilometers if you use a real measuring system. She was no amateur. She had previously swam 35 kilometers from France to London in 13 hours and 20 minutes. For this swim... She had a team with her, one of whom was her mother. Their job was to look out for sharks, feed her food, and be prepared to help her if injury or fatigue happens. Florence May Chadwick had been swimming for 15 hours when suddenly a thick fog creeped in. She couldn't see as well. She was already so tired and her confidence plummeted. She told her team she wasn't sure she was going to make it. She swam for just one more hour before calling her team in, telling them she was out. The heartbreaking thing was that when she got onto the boat, she found out that if she had swum just one more hour, she would have made it. She would have reached her destination. And an interview later, she said, look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land... I know I could have made it. We face today a similar situation to Florence May Chadwick. Our life is like a marathon. It's a journey that requires endurance and vision. To finish the race, you need to know where you're going. To finish the race, you need to know who you're with. You need to know who you are to finish the race. And we all know this, don't we, just in the day-to-day of life. Uh, there are times where we feel like we can't keep going, where we just say it's, it's too hard, it's too difficult. Uh, there are times where we don't feel motivated, work is falling apart, family is not working well, I just want to throw in the towel. There are times you might even want to give up on following Jesus. The question is, what will keep you going, not just to run 50% of the race well, 80% of the race well, not even just 99.95% of the race well, but to finish the entire race well. What will keep you going? And I think the answer to all those things is identity. 
It's all about who. We'll tackle the passage in three sections. Who you're for, who you're with, and who you are. Who you're for, who you're with, and who you are. So you can keep going and finish the race for Jesus. Uh, There's an outline you should have got in the bulletin on your seats. Pop that and your Bible open. They'll help you follow along. Let's dive in. Uh, Firstly, what we are for. Uh, Paul starts in verse 10, last passage. He wants to know Christ. Uh, We talked about this earlier. We are made to know and relate with God. And because of what Christ has done, we can relate with him by faith in Jesus. Who are we made for? Jesus. And so, Paul, seeking to know Jesus, says this in verse 12. Not that I have already attained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus takes hold of me. To which some of you might ask, Paul, what in the heck are you saying? And to answer that, I'm going to need some help. Can everyone give a round of applause as Anthony comes to the front and helps me out? A round of applause. Right here. I did tell him I was going to get him up. It's fine. Uh, you can stay here. Stay here. It's just fine. I've told him nothing, by the way. All right. Imagine this stage is a cliff, and Anthony, unfortunately, you've fallen off, buddy. Uh, you're going to your doom. Uh, Paul says, put your hand out for me. Yep. Up in the air. Good. Uh, well, actually, you're too tall, actually. Can you just squat down a little bit? You're just... I chose it because he was tall, but he's actually too tall for me. I'm, I'm an Asian. I don't, I don't know how height works. But um, Paul says, Christ Jesus has... No, don't hold me. I haven't told you to do anything yet, mate. Paul says, Christ Jesus has taken hold of him. Now, in this situation, is Anthony safe? Just imagine that I'm, I'm really strong, even though I'm not. Is Anthony safe? The answer is... Thank you for one confident answer. Don't appreciate you, Terence. The correct answer is yes, because I'm huge. I'm so big. And Paul is saying, God has known him and saved him. He holds on to him. So what happens? Paul says he seeks to hold Christ, and so Anthony holds my hand. He's seeking to take hold of Christ after Christ has taken hold of him. Now, if Anthony was already safe before, He's not more safe now, right? He's already safe before. Anthony can let go. Let go. <laughs> I'm still holding on, right? That's God. I'm, I guess in the story, I'm, I'm kind of God, but just ignore that for a second. Uh, because of Jesus, he has saved and known Paul. Paul now seeks to know Christ better by holding his arm. You're meant to hold the arm. Come on, it's not that difficult, Anthony. I'm really stretching the illustration, but just imagine, okay? As Anthony grabs my arm, He thinks a whole bunch of things. Let me tell you what Anthony's thinking. He's realizing, gosh, what popping veins. That's what he's thinking. What strong muscle fibers. What a strong grip. And it is. It is, isn't it? To which I'd say, yes, I do lift as I bicep curl Anthony 80 times. One can dream. I'm a small Asian boy. I can't do that. But as Paul examines the saving arm of Jesus and takes hold of him more and more, knowing that he can do nothing more to make God love him more or less, As Paul knows the salvation of Jesus better, Paul begins to know Jesus better. That's kind of what's happening here. You can go down better. Thanks. Give him a round of applause. Um, Was that that illustration perfect? I'd say yes, it was perfect. Thanks, Anthony. The point is, Paul seeks to take hold of knowing God more. He knows he's made for God. We are made for God He's been held by God, 
And in that, we're invited to know God more, to know his salvation, his strong arm more and more, because he is who you and I are made for. But do you notice what Paul says as well? He's not quite there yet. He hasn't obtained it yet. He hasn't arrived at his goal in life. Christians, all of us, are always works in progress. We're always invited to know him more deeply. Uh, if you were to ask a child, do you, know your, do you know your father? And they'd probably say, yeah, I know my dad. We play catch. He's big and strong. He lets me eat ice cream when mom's not looking. If you asked an adult, do you know your father? You'd hope that they'd say, yeah, but deeper than I did before. Uh, For myself, for my own father, I now realize how tough it was for my father to come to Sydney, how hard he worked to provide for my family, uh, how much love he showed in his silence, which I didn't really understand as a child. A child of God is kind of like that. As you grow and continue, as you know God and his salvation for you more and more, you begin to appreciate new things about God. You grow to realize how wonderful it is that you're at peace with God when you mess up your relationships. You realize how good God is when you realize how unlovable and wicked we really are. You begin to realize how faithful God is when we so often readily give up on him and others around us. As we grow, we know God more and more. And it's kind of a beautiful thing if you think about it. It kind of means that your life as a Christian will never be boring because there is always more of our infinite God to know, uh, to realize, to appreciate. Paul is saying, keep taking hold of the God who has saved you, who has held you, the God for whom you're made. He loves for you to know him more and more deeply. The Father longs for his children to know him. Uh, Paul again says in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's not there yet, but he leans in and tells them, but there is one thing I do, just one. Paul leans in and says, are you listening? One thing, and then Paul instantly says two things. Paul, he says, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And you might say, Paul, buddy, you need to return to year two. Math one is not two. But I do think what Paul says here is actually kind of really helpful. He says this one thing that Paul, in Paul's mind, he's got the image of a runner. The next verse tells us that he is pursuing a goal, a prize, like at the finish of a race. The goal is finish the race, win the prize. What's Paul's game plan of running? How is he going to run? It's one thing. Forget what is behind strain towards what is ahead. And if you think about the image of the runner, uh, the runner who's straining towards the goal to finish the race, you know what they do, right? They aren't looking behind them. They're not running like this. You can't simultaneously look forward and behind at the same thing. It's at the same time. It's one thing. For Paul, looking back is looking back at past works you've done. 
Uh, remember last week, we, looked about, we talked about Paul's immaculate CV. Remember, he's the Hebrew of Hebrews, that kid in Chinese school. Circumcised on the eighth day, faultless righteousness based on the law. Really impressive. But what does Paul say? He says it's impressive, but it's all garbage compared to knowing Christ. When Paul runs the race, he's not looking back, marveling at what's already been done. Races don't stop at any point of the race and look back and be like, gosh, that was the best 80 meters, personal best of my life as the other runners passed them by. They don't do that, right? No, there's a goal ahead and Paul is fixated on it and strains towards it. Paul wants to finish the race. Not to 90% well. He wants to keep going in knowing God, living life in response to God's salvation. Don't run 50%, 80%, or even 99.95% of the race well. Paul is saying, finish the entire race well. Keep going. And when we cross the finish line, when we are there with God forever, there's even more then to know about him. Here's something to blow your minds. Imagine with me, if God is, don't imagine it's true, if God is an infinite being with infinite love, infinite grace, infinite faithfulness, well, you and I would need an infinite amount of time and comprehension to wrap your heads around how infinite he is. Which means, even in heaven, you won't get bored of knowing God. Because knowing him, being in relationship with him, will keep going and growing. You'll keep knowing him better. That's the prize in heaven, to know God We get to enjoy a small taste of that, knowing him now as a child to a father. So keep going. So we're made for God to know God. Paul runs fixated on the goal. But you might realize as he looked in the passage, Paul upon this metaphorical run begins to realize that there are other runners around him too. And so the second point is to keep going, we need to know who where with. Paul is the Philippine running coach, you might say, and he's told them what the game plan is to fixatedly run after God in knowing him more and more. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, what's Paul saying? Paul says to the Philippines, and Paul says to us right now, he's saying, lace up, get on your running shoes, follow me, let's run. Kind of like one of those annoying gym class teachers, you know? Except he's good. Paul says to join together in following his example. But in this park run, in this gym class, you aren't just looking at the head runner Paul and following him, but Paul encourages them to look around. There are other runners here running for Jesus too. And he says, be like them. Follow them too. October 12th, 2019. This is a guy called Eliud Kipchoge. He's a Kenyan runner. He was the first man to complete a marathon in under two hours. That's, by the way, 42.2 kilometers in under two hours, if you don't know that. And do you know how he did it? You see at the back of the photo, there are all these other runners celebrating. Eliud Kipchoge did it because he had help. 
He had a coach who would bring him water. There was a car which projected the, uh, the way that he should run with a laser. It was really high tech. And really importantly, there were other runners called pace setters. Pacemakers, sorry. Does anyone know how to actually run? I don't run. I don't know. But um, they're called pacemakers. These people were former world champions, Olympians, marathon runners. And what's their job? They were all helping him to keep pace, to run at the right speed for a sub-two-hour marathon. Eliud Kipchoge became the first man to have a sub-two-hour marathon, but he didn't do it alone. Now, unfortunately... Because he had so much help, it wasn't actually counted as a world record, even though the fetus office is still really difficult with help. But the point is, Paul invites us to be like Eliud Kipchoge. He's saying, you need to have pacemakers. You can't do the Christian life alone. Imagine every area of life that you have now that you're called to be faithful to, It might be your studies, your rest, your work, your family, your relationships, your mental health, your service here at church, your volunteering in the world, your free time, your personal life, admin, all the things you do, imagine that. How are you going to live each of those things, having your eyes fixated on the goal of knowing God, living in a way that's befitting of a child of God? If If you are a younger Christian, you need older Christians who have persevered and been in the race longer. Godly women like Auntie Mavis and Auntie Judy here. Shout out, Mom, what's up? Auntie Judy, I don't see her, that's okay. But they're just two shout outs to just two women I've just begun to know here at Grace Point because they're encouragements to me. I realize that they ask questions about how they're going to live for Jesus in their average everyday life. They have a wealth of experience that I don't have, and I would really benefit from that. If you're a younger Christian, you need older Christians too. If you're younger, go model after someone older. But also, if you're older, go model from someone younger. They may not have all the wisdom in the world, exhibit A, but sometimes in, they have that passionate zeal for Jesus. That sometimes often comes more from younger people than older. They are running this race alongside you towards Jesus. If you're older, you need models so that you keep running too. We all need pace makers. Pace setters? Oh gosh, I've forgotten the word. I could talk about more differences, young and old, male and female, different ages and stages, different strengths and weakness. But the point is, one of the greatest gifts that God gives you to finish the race well is other Christians different to you. But the question I have for you is, who are you modeling after? Are you modeling after anyone here at Grace One in your Christian race? Stop for a second and and ask that to yourself. Who are you modeling after here? To run the race for Jesus, seeking to know God more and more, to finish that race, God gives you each other. As you work out, here's an encouragement, as you work out how to live for Jesus at work, talk to people here about it. As you work out how to live for Jesus in your families, talk to other people here about it. As you work out how to live for Jesus whenever, wherever, whether big or small, talk to others about it. We're helping each other to run that race well, to finish that race well. Some of you might not feel like you have much to offer. 
God says something else to you. He says he has placed you for a reason. He has gifted you gifts. He places you here for people to model after you. Shocking. But also you need people to model after as well. Paul is really clear. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So Grace Point, would we become a church where we model after each other, helping each other live for Jesus? Would our conversations reflect our desire to help and be helped? Have a struggle? Talk about it. Have a win for Jesus? Talk about it. Do not underestimate the power of your words and your life in encouraging others to live for Jesus, in being encouraged to live for Jesus. You want an easy conversation started to ask after church today? Ask, what's living for Jesus looking like for you now? You don't need to be perfect. Paul himself was always a work in progress. We will only ever be works in progress. But we need each other. Others are God's gift to you, and you are God's gift to others. Grace point, it's time to lace up. Get those running shoes. We're going on a park run together. Except the park run is too short. We need like a marathon. I don't know. So... Running the race, living for Jesus, knowing God is pretty sweaty. It requires hard work. But Paul, as he runs the race, he looks around. There aren't just beads of sweat dripping from his forehead. There are tears flowing from his eyes. Paul looks around and he sees people that he says are enemies of the cross of Christ. Uh, It's a great tragedy for Paul. Imagine someone running just with tears down their eyes. Paul knows that these people are made to know God through Christ. But instead of coming to know him and love him, they are his enemies. That brings Paul to tears. Uh, Paul goes on describing the tragedy. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. People destined for destruction live in their own way without God is a tragedy. People who are made for God have made their desires, their stomachs, their God. Heartbreaking. People who are meant to reflect the goodness of God instead rejoice in shame. Devastating. Like if you just stop to dwell on any one of those things, it's heart-wrenching. For me to think that some of my family members without Jesus will spend eternity away from the God who is the giver of all good. To know that some of my best friends are satisfied without God. That they think that their achievements, their relationships, their careerism, their next best temporary things, holidays even, they think that that satisfies them. We know that they are just but pies made of mud compared to the God they were made for. Ultimately, they are all just earthly, temporary things, things that will ultimately vanish and burn up. It's so tragic. Easter is just over a month away, where we celebrate Jesus' saving death and his resurrection. It would be worth praying for some people around you who don't yet know Jesus, because by themselves, in themselves, they have no hope. Why not pray for one not-yet-Christian for one minute each day? One person, one minute, one day. Pray that they would come to know Jesus and find real, lasting satisfaction. You might even want to consider prayerfully 
how you might share the gospel with them yourselves as well. Because as we look around, it should bring us to tears. Okay? So, so far, where are we up to? We run this race knowing who we're made for, Jesus. We run this race modeling and being modeled to others. We run the race with tears, seeking to see those on the sidelines of the race come and join in on this race, living for Jesus too, running to Jesus too. And finally, as we run this race, as we seek to finish the race for Jesus, we need to know who we are. And Paul tells them in verse 20 who they are. Fundamentally, Philippines, you are citizens of heaven. And we've talked about this before, haven't we? Uh, Jesus is the king. We are his people, his citizens. And in fact, four weeks ago, when I started preaching on Philippians 1.27, that's what Paul tells them. It's related to this idea. The New Living Translation translate it as live as citizens of heaven. So it actually means that all the way from 127 all the way to here, 4.1, it's all about living as citizens of heaven. And it would be a really striking thing for the Philippians to hear because they were a Roman colony. Technically, that meant they were citizens of Rome. But the funny thing is this, they were citizens of Rome, but the people at Philippi had never been to Rome before. I was in class uh, this week, and these two men were up the front teaching my class. It's Peter and Philip Jensen, if you don't know them. They've been really instrumental in Sydney Christianity the last 50 years. They grew up in Australia, and they tell this story of how their father saw himself as a British man. He had a British passport. He would often go around to people and call London home. The only problem was he had never been to London. But he still fondly called London home. Really, he did that. That's kind of the experience of the Philippines here. They knew what it was to be a citizen of a place they had never been to before. They knew what it was like for Paul to call them citizens of heaven, even though they had never been there before. Because where your home is dictates a lot about what you value. Where your home is dictates where you're going. Where your home is dictates who you are. So you can run back home. The great temptation that I often face as a Christian is I stop thinking about the race in front of me and I start thinking, I think I'm from here. I kind of, I kind of like earth. Uh, it's got things I enjoy. It's got things I understand. It's got things that are, hey, it's pretty good. I like holidays. I like stuff. I like earning my way through life. But the problem is, if you live for here and not for heaven, where you're made for, it kind of means you actually aren't running in the race. The picture is, instead of running, it's kind of more like you've slowed down and you're sort of distractedly having a stroll around, admiring the, the greenery. Gosh, this blade of grass is rather good. You kind of look around like that and you forget the prize that's in front of you. You forget the prize in front of you. And that's not to, to guilt you if that's you. If you're saved by Jesus, you're saved by Jesus. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. But Paul is saying, you're not meant to live for here. This isn't home, 
So don't get comfortable here. Paul is saying, run and live for your home in heaven. There's something better to live for. So lace up. It doesn't mean that there aren't good things here to enjoy. They are wonderful gifts from God to enjoy and praise Him for. But we live to finish the race and to meet our Savior, who's there in heaven. He's coming back. And even more than that, in verse 21, Paul says there's something better than this world to look forward to, better than your next holiday, better than a promotion. There's something better than this world to look forward to, to run towards. He says, God is going to come and is going to transform your lowly bodies. Anyone else here describe their bodies as lowly? It's not quite the adjective I would use. But I'm sure you all feel this in different ways. The world around us is broken. And our bodies are absolutely part of that too. I don't know what it is for you, but I feel like I kind of know this a bit intimately. Uh, When I was 20 years old, I would go in and out of the hospital at least four times a week, minimum, for my, for my eczema, a skin condition. And I often wondered to myself, as I walked down the halls of the hospital, I wondered, why am I so used to being here? I was there so often, and even though most people there were far older than me, I just realized I'd become so used to the hospital because it's all that I knew. I just had gone there so many times. Even when I recently went to the hospital, the nurses looked at me and said, ah, oh, I remember when you first started university. Ah, I remember when you finished university, when you started moving around Australia. Ah, I remember when you showed me those pictures when you got married. I'm like, gosh, these women have known me for 13 years. Why do I, why am I so used to the hospital? I'd gotten so used to my broken body, even though it didn't seem to function the way that it was meant to be. We face all sorts of problems with our bodies, don't we? And we sometimes kid ourselves that, you know what? It's just normal. I'm just used to it. What's it for you? I think the one time that we know that our bodies aren't really normal is in the face of death. I don't think anyone looks at death and thinks, you know, that's normal. That's how it should be. That's what our world was made for, death. What is it for you? The promise of Jesus He says that he's coming back and he's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, perfect and whole. And you know what's extraordinary? Paul says Jesus will come back and do it by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Imagine that. The power that controls and holds the universe together will be focused and directed to transforming your lowly body. There is not a spot or lump that he will miss. There is not a tear that he will not wipe away. There is a beautiful body he will transform yours into. That's a reason to keep running the race fixated on the goal, isn't it? What's it for you? Because one day, there will be no more achy bones, achy backs and broken bones, failing lungs or kidney stones, loved ones with cancer No shaking lips with no answer. There'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering or fears. Just the one we are made for before us in splendor. He will transform your body. So, don't live for here. 
You're, you're made from here, but you're not made for here. You are a citizen of heaven, and so live for there, not here. Florence May Chadwick, on the 4th of July, 1952, was gutted that she gave up so close to the shoreline. But just two months later, she swam it again. She got her team of support helpers, her mother was there again. And just like the first time, another thick fog rolled across, just like it did. But she didn't let it deter her. Her mind was fixated on reaching her destination. She knew it was there, she knew it was coming, so she kept on going. And she finished her journey this time. To finish the race, we need to know who we're made for. Jesus. Know him. Love him. To finish the race, you need to know who you're running with. Others. Model and be modeled to. They are God's gift to you. You are God's gift to them. Look around. Who is it? Who else are you running with? Enemies of the cross. On the sidelines, you'll see. Tears is how we're meant to respond. Invite them to come lace up with you to follow Jesus. And to finish the race, you need to know who you are. You are a citizen of heaven. You're made from the stuff of the earth, but you're not made for here. You have a passport. And it says, citizen of heaven. You've never been there before, but that's your home. When you go back to your houses today, the places where you live, imagine getting that passport out at the front door. And imagine going through customs and they stamp foreigner. You are just passing through here on the way back home. You're not for here. So live for heaven, your home. Run for it. Be single-mindedly fixated on it. It won't be easy. It will take sweat and it will have tears. But it is where we're made for. And it will be good because Jesus will be there. Keep going, grace points. Lace up. Finish the race. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are bringing us home. Help us to come to you, to know, love, and trust you. Help us not to be fooled to think that we are living here forever. Help us to live to run for the goal of knowing you. Help us to serve each other by modeling to each other what running the race for you looks like in all areas of life. Please bring us to tears as we see those who don't know you. Help us to think wisely about what sharing the gospel might look like. Help us to remember that we're just passing through. So we might forget what is behind, strain towards what is ahead, and finish the race, and finally meet you in person, back at the family home in heaven. We look forward to this, and we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.